You're now listening to the Peach Pundit Podcast, where we are expressing our own personal opinions. These views may not reflect the opinions of those whom we may be professionally affiliated. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Peach Pundit Podcast. I am Jason Pye, joined by the illustrious and wonderful Scott Turner and the the boisterous and subtle Buzz Brockway. <laughs> Howdy, guys. I'm just, I'm just pulling words out of and just making stuff up as I go along, which is... I'm surprised after the pre-show that only our Patreons who are at the $10 level get to see. You didn't describe me as the cantankerous <laughs> Scott Turner. Oh, yeah, I should. Because I'm that feeling you, know, you, you, yes. you were, You were especially... You were feeling especially cantankerous. I'm over the morons. Cur- curmudgeon, <laughs> one might say. Let's just let's pass a bill outlawing being a moron. Can we get agree on I, that? I'm pretty sure that violates the First Amendment. But you know, I, I you are the constitutional conservative amongst yeah, us. That's right. Um, the love, right, love, the right to be a moron is constitutionally protected in yeah, the First Amendment. I love the sentiment, but yeah, just just wouldn't work. Buzz, did you say you love the cinnamon or the sentiment? Sentiment. sentiment. I like cinnamon, too. But <laughs> I thought he was being a, a fanboy of Christian cinema for a minute. Mm, so did <laughs> I. I speaking but of so fanboys of Christian I mean, cinema. Speaking of fanboys of Christian Kirsten, <laughs> Kirsten anybody cinema. Who, anybody who makes a, there, what's his face from New York unhappy that is, is fine with me. So Schumer. Anybody who makes Schumer unhappy is, is good in my book. Speaking of fanboys of Kirsten cinema, did you guys see the picture of Kevin McCarthy having dinner with her this week? No. Are they connecting in a romantic way, or are they I, just talking? I, I'm sure they were just talking. It was out in pub. It was out in public, and I'm sure they were talking well, about legislation. Apparently, oh, look. Apparently, anytime McCarthy aligns with any female, they start talking about him knocking boots up there. Right. I don't know. It's what I've been told. <laughs> oh, gosh. oh my god! I, I'm asking questions. Moving, I'm not saying. I'm just move, asking. Moving along. <laughs> Podcast um, off to a rip-roaring start here. Yeah, no, this this, this guy oh, this got real interesting real fast. So, <laughs> um, oh god. So Buzz, this morning we were we were all enjoying our nice Friday, cold <laughs> at least here in Virginia. I don't know what the temps like down in Georgia, but cold in Virginia. We actually had snow on the ground yesterday. Go figure. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, but. I'm sitting here enjoying my nice Friday morning, and Buzz sends us a, all a text, and it's a link to a tweet from the Libertarian Party of Georgia. And this tweet was in response to I'll, I'll start with the whole thread, and the thread is not that long. It's the the Republican Party at GOP on Twitter, and it's a picture of George W. Bush. And it says almost Friday, and and the the text of the tweet says code name Trailblazer, and then the Libertarian Party of Georgia r- replies to it and says Trailblazer did nine eleven. Okay, Trailblazer bit did nine yeah, eleven. Basically saying nine eleven was an inside job, and Bush knew about it, nor did it. See, now, I feel like you're setting me up. You're putting the ball on a tee because I'm against morons. Well, I'm right. Now. I'm getting there. I feel like I'm supposed to swing at the ball. So I, so you have, you can swing at the ball, but I need you to wait. Cause I'm going to say what I said first. <laughs> so I, cause I said two things in response to this. The first one is I quote tweeted it and said, I guess LP Georgia is joining the conspiracy theorist crowd because this, I didn't say this, but this sounds like something that the, the LP of New Hampshire would say, cause they're 
absolute nut jobs up there. The second thing I, I tweeted was, and this got this got a kudos from John Peasel. The second thing I tweeted was a reply to my original tweet. I just said, I love how people complain that government is inefficient and can't do anything right, but somehow it managed to pull off 9-11, which is... <laughs> which, it's like, it, but it's 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 like a, it's an honest thing though. Like, cause if if you yes. think government can't do anything right and fails at everything it does, it wastes money, it's inefficient. Congress can't do anything right, you know. For for like for God's sakes, like they just found classified information in Joe Biden's like garage and Mike <laughs> Pence classified information in his house. <laughs> you mean to tell me that the government is so competent? And so smart and intelligent and, and all knowing and all whatever that it pulled off nine eleven. Yeah. Specifically George Specifically W. Specifically George because he'd only been in office for two months, so he was so smart and was able to pull the levers of the Illuminati so effectively <laughs> yeah. within two months of being elected. Eight months. That you know or eight months, sorry. He, yeah. Yeah. Within eight months he was able to to knock down Two towers and, and, and cause all this stuff to happen. Yeah, Sounds crash legit. a plane in the middle of a of a field in in Pennsylvania, and also crash a plane into the Pentagon. Because yeah. we all know that we've all seen right. the video video footage. There's it does not look like a plane. It looks like a missile that went in there. Show me the fuselage. <laughs> or so they said. So yeah. Scott, I, I have back I have to our loose, up for loose change days. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it's, a, oh, it's a straw man argument it's a straw man argument because that's what they always said in loose change so scott i have teed it up for you it is it is on the ba- it's the ball is on the tee in front of you Beat be like a morons. five-year-old my, and swing and miss but on monday morning i get to the state capitol and going straight to david's night's office with legislation outlawing being a moron in georgia and we'll take care of this libertarian problem and David Knight will carry that bill for me. I know it. And I'll get Alan Powell to sign it. It'll be it'll be all chairmen. I'll have thirty chairmen sign my bill, and we'll and and then I'll take it to the speaker's office, and he'll be like, "Oh yes, this is the solution. We'll just we'll just outlaw being a freaking moron." Yeah, and then you go to the Republican Party convention and realize that it's not just libertarians. Oh shit! There <laughs> you go. Buzz, what do you think about our, realize our half Libertarian the delegates Party of Georgia? Are gone. Yeah, realize that half the yeah. delegates are gone right all of a sudden. It'll be, it, it'll be <laughs> like Jesus came off. like a thief in the night. Us. <laughs> yeah, people will think the rapture happened, right? <laughs> Thanos snapped his finger and half of the half of the universe is gone. <laughs> oh. Yeah, oh, I mean it's, it's gosh, I mean I mean what you know Jason your tweets were great. I I tweeted and LP Georgia wonders why their candidates can't break one percent. I mean, it's 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 it just blows my mind that that this happened. That a, the the third most popular party in the state of Georgia actually tweeted that George W. Bush was was behind nine eleven. I mean, that's just it's a whole uh, all it's, all our all our parties are so screwed up and ridiculous and. And, and and let's not just to pick on libertarians here. I think Buzz Buzz hit something that's that's really you know important. It's it's like there's crazy in every party, right? Oh yeah. You know, you know and, and it's easy to pick on the Libertarian Party of Georgia for a boneheaded tweet that still hasn't been taken down. But there's there's you know, I mean, I'm old enough to remember when 
you know, people storm the Capitol based on a lie and a conspiracy yeah. theory. So there's that. Yeah, there's uh, that. And I'm, and not, there's I'm not picking. On, I'm Taylor, not picking on Republicans. Marjorie Taylor Greene talking about space lasers. Jewish space lasers. J- Jewish space Jewish lasers. Space lasers. Jewish yeah. space lasers. Yeah. Stacey Abrams having a hype house in for TikTok videos. I mean, you know, yeah, dumb is universal. <laughs> you know, I actually meant to. I, I guys, I, I actually meant because this is. I'm, I've got CNN on, CNN on in front of me, and I meant to actually lead off the podcast with this. What do you guys think of the surveillance? Police? Oh, I. I... <laughs> I think it needs to go over a red state as soon as possible so it can be shot down. <laughs> I mean, That's it started over Montana. It started over Montana. Last I heard it was over Missouri. That is a red state. But I'm, I'm t- <laughs> if it gets, it, listen, if it gets through Missouri without getting shot down, that's it must be I really mean, high up because I'm guarantee you there's some rednecks out there that are wait, there's some SEC football fans that are, that are looking at yeah. that thing through the, through the hunting rifle scope thinking, I can take you it. You know, China, if you're listening to this, and we, we I mean, that, you know, that's a 50-50. China, if you're listening to this, do not fly that fly that thing over the deep south. Arkansas, <laughs> Mississippi, Alabama, parts of southern South Georgia. China's saying now it, it was a scientific civilian <laughs> balloon that got away. So right? that's what they, that's what they're yeah saying they said now. it was a meteorological balloon. And I watched the DoD briefing this afternoon. And they were like, "Yeah, no, it's a, it's a surveillance balloon. We we know we we know it's a surveillance balloon." So I saw a tweet. This person, I, I can't remember who it was, and I'm going to screw up the details of it, the exact details. But it said that. In 1943, I think it was, Harry people thought they saw a, a balloon that they thought was a spy balloon and started shooting at it, and then they realized that they were really shooting at Venus. And so... Uh, <laughs> oh. So wow. a guy from the... So what? Did they hit it? Ben Shapiro, ben Shapiro retweets it and says, and Venus has never effed with us again, have they? I like the I like the tweet where the guy said, "All we need is ninety eight more balloons, and we have a song." <laughs> oh yeah, that was David Williams. That's a that's a I serve I serve on his foundation's board. It's apparently I, I get invited to serve on foundation boards or organization boards. That's the third one I was asked to sign on to or join. So Airs Protection Alliance, they're a great group in DC. You guys should check them out if you haven't already. But the the I this whole thing. Because I was, they were saying last night, like we don't want to shoot it down because we don't want it to be seen as an act of war. And it's like, yo, they're flying over our airspace. Yeah, yeah, right. And like I'm not, I'm not the China phobe that a lot of people are, but at the same time, like this is even, even I'm starting to go. Eh, you're about to f around and find out. Yeah, you know, like this well, is right. This I mean, is, what is, happens? Secretary Blinken, I guess, was in the pro. You know, I don't know exactly yeah. when the date was going to happen. Today. Very soon, there was to be a visit from Secretary Blinken, and now that's postponed. So that you know, they're they. It, it's funny. You know, on one hand, it's funny and humorous that a balloon is floating over our airspace. On the other hand, it's 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 a provocation. It's a let's yeah. see how how far we can get with this stuff and. Well, let's come down from sixty thousand feet in the air back on the back on the surface and talk a little Georgia politics because we have plenty to talk about in Georgia politics world. First and for- foremost, there was a special election. You had Ralston, the the widow, former Speaker House Speaker David Ralston, who is running for one of the four special election seats in the Georgia General Assembly that came up on two, uh, Tuesday, and she was running against a North Georgia banker, Johnny Chastain, and Chastain won this race. 
And I think it surprised a lot of people. And granted, it's a special election. Anything can and will happen in a special election. But given sort of the, the, the sudden passing of Ralston and then the, you know, his wife having a very recognizable name in the district, she, she got beat. What do you guys? Uh, what do you guys make of this, Scott? I'll I'll start with you, and then Buzz. I'll come to you after that. I've been trying to reach out to Johnny Chastain just to say welcome to legislator le- legislative body uh, and just the the normal welcome stuff, and haven't been able to talk to him. That said, in his post election party, his victory party, he he was quoted as saying, "She had two governors, Nathan Deal and Brian Kemp, and I had two IGAs, meaning the." two independent grocery stores that are owned by as a franchise you know the two in the district the grocery store owners had endorsed him and the implication there is the establishment came out big for Cherie Ralston the speaker had endorsed her lots of existing reps Will Wade who's a friend of the podcast had endorsed her and so you had a lot of the folks who are seen as sort of like establishment Republicans come out for her. And he focuses campaign on things like, hey, this is about our district. And these all these people from the outside want to see her elected. They don't want to see me. I'm going to be your voice, not theirs. And that resonated with the voters in that district. And turnout was pretty strong. There were over 8,000 people that participated in a special election runoff in February. So it was pretty strong turnout that said you know johnny chastain if he 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 gets to decide right now how he's going to come into the legislature if he's going to maintain that i would advise him to sit down with all the members leadership and just say i'm here to learn i wasn't expecting to be here six months ago and so i i haven't been spending years preparing for this because i like being represented by the former speaker and now i have a lot to learn so teach me and and ask for guidance that would be my number one piece of advice for him because statements like that under the gold dome get taken as you're coming in to start a fight yeah and that would be something you want to try to tamp down right away because if you come into a room of 180 people and you punch them all one time and they all get to punch you once all you've done is punch them once and you got beat 180 (laughs) times so Take a breath, relax, and learn the process. That's what I would say. As a guy who used to start a lot of fights <laughs> under the Gold Dome, that's Buzz. what I would say. No, that's great advice, Scott. I, I think I don't have a whole lot to say about this, but because you know, it, Jason, as you mentioned, special elections are weird. It's hard to know what's going to happen. But there was a key phrase that Greg Bluestein used that said, "Describe Johnny Chastain as a person with deep ties in the community." And that's probably what uh, what was the deciding factor. I know my, my brother-in-law represented not that area, but right next door to that area for a lot of years. I've been up there, campaigned with him. That matters. more In rural Georgia, having deep ties to the community matters a lot. And that was probably the deciding factor in this race in favor of Chastain was that he did. Had deeper ties than Ms., Mrs. Ralston did. 
So. so we also had a special election in State Senate District 11. This was a race against Sam or Sam Watson, a Republican, who was running against a Democrat, Mary Weaver Anderson, and a Libertarian, John Mons. Now, I will say I'm a, I count John as a friend. He's a great guy. But Sam Watson ended up running, winning this race. He's running to replace State Senator Dean Burke, who resigned to become the Department of Community Health's chief medical officer, which did not know we had a chief medical officer in the state of Georgia, but he's so Sam Watson is returning to the state legislature. So I didn't know he left the legislature, Scott. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, well, you know, so Sam had had during the speaker's race to replace David Ralston had come out and had actually nominated Barry Fleming, who ended up losing to John Burns, and so this was like an escape hatch for sam and, and to, you know pure trans because we're we pay attention to the gold dome like it's a mma match we're we're waiting to see when the next event's going to be and that's how close we we kind of track it like it's baseball or, or our favorite football team we were i was looking to see how sam was going to be treated in under the new speaker and if he was going to be so quote-unquote punished or not but this opportunity presented itself, so Sam took it, and he went to become a state senator, so he no longer has to worry about how he would be treated by House leadership. He's now a senator, and he's one of a, a smaller club over there, so you can't – if he does have a bill that gets over to the the House, he has a lot more leverage than he would have as a House member, being a member of 180 versus a, a, a body of 180 versus one of 56 gives you a lot more leverage. So that was what I was looking for. And, and so I will say this, I served with Sam. He's a, he, a farmer by trade and a very effective legislator. So I think that district got somebody who's very experienced right off the bat. They don't have to worry about a learning curve. This is a guy who's been, you know, I, I came in with him as a freshman legislator. So he's been around a while and he's going to be able to effectively represent the, that Senate district more so than any of the other candidates because of his experience base. And he's going to plug into the ag committee and be a very valuable member of the Senate moving forward. So I have nothing good things to say about Sam and I'm happy that he's, his situation has markedly approved improved from where it was just a, a yeah. few weeks ago. Buzz. Yeah. I'll just add that Sam sat in front of me on the, the row in front of me on the house floor. He's a very quiet, thoughtful guy. He's not, a rabble rouser. He's not. You're not going to hear fiery speeches from Sam. But he, as as Scott mentioned, he he's pretty darn effective. He gets stuff done, and he very quickly earned the respect of his colleagues. And I have no doubt that he will earn the respect of his new colleagues in the Senate and be effective senator as well. So, good good on you, Sam. So we also have this. We we've talked about this. I don't think we talked about it at. at at length, but we talked about it. The the state legislator, well, I guess state state representative elect Danny Dempsey, who I don't think was ever actually seated, or if he was seated, mm -hmm. it, he wasn't there long. This is the Rampy, Ramp Rampy, Rampy, excuse, excuse me, Rampy, Danny Rampy. Yeah, he, he did not get sworn in. <clears throat> yeah. So yet. this is this is the 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 representative elect who allegedly stole medication from his from nursing home residents and he happened to be like what a co-owner of the nursing home or something like that so he yeah. did not take off and he did not get sworn in as as scott has let us know so this this is a you know house district 119 i believe which is in terry england's yeah, old district. based in barrow county so this race 
for those of you who are tired of runoffs, this race is going to a runoff. Because <laughs> this race going to a runoff, though, is markedly like the worst example of why runoffs are bad. Because this this election is not going to be over until about crossover day. Yeah. And so this district's going unrepresented for nearly an entire session. And so this person who comes in is not going to have the opportunity to introduce any legislation that would be considered seriously this session. It's it's a wasted legislative session for an entire House district <laughs> because of runoffs. Yeah, that representative is going to get to serve twelve days. And and well, let me let me ask you guys because right. I'm sure you know the the people who who may be listening to this podcast who who are not super familiar with how the legislature works have. Obviously, you have the the ordinary re- legislation that gets you know introduced, whether you're carrying it for a special interest or whether it's just an idea you had or whatever. But then you have local legislation. Mm-hmm. So, in a district like this, where the, you know I don't know if this district has incorporated cities in it or or you know whether it's you know whether it's solely in this county or this county solely in this district, I have no idea. But but let me ask. In a situation like this where you have a, a, a member who's not going to be there for a long time and there's something that, that urgent business that needs to be considered on the local calendar, who runs that? If it's if the district in, encompasses an entire municipality or an entire county, no one. Yeah. There's, no so one there's, there's, there's no process to, in place for someone right. to come in and carry that for – unless it's done on the Senate side. No. No. The rules of the House require that the delegation, according to the delegation's rules, which have to be submitted at the beginning of the session, are, are in place. If there are no rules, you have to have 100% buy-in from that local delegation. So, no, you, you, you cannot – you can't – the House would not be able to consider any local legislation. Now, this – the caveat here, though, is local legislation is not subject to the crossover rule day. Mm-hmm. So you can introduce – legislation if so if it's ready to go when he shows up if it's already been run in the the legal organ which is the newspaper for that area advertising it you know if it's, if the ad's set up he can come in on day one drop drop the legislation that day and get it going now um, not right a sen- the senator even wait a couple of days the, yeah the senator right. for that area can be, can begin the process right so yeah right, right. i'm trying to pull up the map but it, they'll have to wait for him to, to show up right and and but he's behind the eight ball. If it's something that he's not familiar with, then he's got to learn about it, and then he's got to determine whether or not he's for it or against it. Because just because the locals want something doesn't mean the legislative delegation is okay with it. You know, if they want to make their their local elections nonpartisan, which might be something that they might want to do. So it looks right, like let's see, I'm I'm looking at the map here. So it doesn't. It looks like uh, 119 does include. Winder or most of Winder, right next to him is District 104, which I'll have to look up the new the new numbers. That might be that looks like it includes some of Gwinnett County, and then up north is District 31, which looks like it includes some of Barrow County. So yeah, I think you know I think you you know in this particular case, looks like local legislation wouldn't be all that impacted, but because so other when- other members can carry it, but. But yeah, you're right, Jason. One I mean, I, all the all the business stops. Yeah, I was just curious. I mean, I remember, I remember, I remember hearing about that when when I used to track and, and and do some work in the Georgia General Assembly. But I couldn't remember the details. It's been so long. So one of the one this this same race in House District 112 
So I'm looking at the so seven candidates. You have Holt Persinger and Charlie Chase, who are the top two vote getters. Persinger was at 28%. Charlie Chase was at 26%. This is a seven-way race. You had 3,262 votes cast. And you have a State House District 172, which Charles Cannon won, and he was the only candidate in that race. He had 3,428 votes. Yeah. As yeah. A, special elections are rough, man. Oh, I, yeah, I've rough. always known special elections were rough, but Lord have mercy. That is... Yeah. That is... Yeah. In my in my first round, there were about twenty four hundred. I mean, look, you're not an inspiring candidate, Scott. I mean, I hate to say it. I mean, you you're not. He's <laughs> not true. <laughs> I inspired people to do a lot of things, not necessarily all good, but I, I did inspire people. Sometimes it was I mean, of me. You have, whatever gets into the polls, of anybody, man. Of anybody I know, of anybody I know who who you inspire hatred in me. <laughs> I know I do. It's and it's easy to fire up. I know which button to press when to get that to come to the surface. <laughs> okay. and it's Moving kind of right up. along, weird so turn to on the um, podcaster. So before before I go into st- story that kind of takes us out of the legislature, I do want to talk a little bit about the lone vote against the amended the amended twenty twenty three budget. So the for those of you who don't who don't realize this and, and this i'm speaking to the people who who are not active or at least don't follow georgia politics to the extent that the three of us do georgia's budget cycles july through june and each year usually not always but usually almost every time i mean since i've been following it this has been the case the legislature comes in and in the beginning of a new session and amends the 20 the, the previous budget the the, the, the budget for yeah, it's called the skinny, the skinny budget, budget right. or the little budget. It, they amend that fiscal year's budget. They're in the middle of the fiscal year. They're amending the budget based on revenue projections, whether they have to cut, whether they can have more to spend, whatever the case may be. And they do that before they get to the big budget, which is the the next fiscal year budget. So this is the amended fiscal 2023 budget. The legislature is currently considering it. The budget had one no vote. And, and I remember... Going back years and years ago, before he completely sold out, when Tom Graves was one of six conservative House members who voted against the budget. And they I know Graves lost, I think, a committee chairmanship over that, and others were penalized for that vote. It's it's long been thought that you don't vote against the—you especially don't vote against the budget if you have stuff in there for your district. But you don't vote against the budget. But Charlize Bird— Voted against the budget. She was the only person to vote against it. Scott, give us a little bit more background here. Tell tell us what tell our audience what I am not telling them. Stop texting. I was looking at the budget. <laughs> I wasn't texting. I was looking at my phone because I have the House's official press release that included all the things that the amended budget did. So among them were a billion dollars in property tax relief, several million dollars for school security. So you saw increased spending on things that were important to people in Georgia. You saw things like three and a half million dollars in the budget to maintain operations of the Georgia Crime Information Center and to offset a reduction in user fee collections that had happened as a result of the pandemic. And these are things that are important to people in Georgia. Mm -hmm. Right. And, but Charlie's Bird issued a press release. She's the chair, apparently, of the House Freedom Caucus or the Georgia Freedom Caucus, because it's not just the House. And she and, and Senator Colton Moore issued a, a press release basically saying they didn't like how the money was being spent. 
the thing that stood out in here in her press release, and I'll read this word for word so I give her the benefit of the doubt, says that the budget also contains $546 million pay raise for government employees. As currently written, this budget would reward government employees doing a terrible job at the same time as people doing a great job. We can do better than this and our constituents expected of us. Government employees are paid less than market rate already. And our constituent services, as a result, in a lot of different areas, suffer greatly because of that. And you need look no further than defects and how poorly they pay our caseworkers and the massive turnover that organization has to understand that adjusting spending to just inflation plus population growth isn't always the best thing if these organizations haven't been paying people at a, at a competitive market rate. And so we need people who are capable in that type of job and that type of role. And so you, they need to increase spending on payroll for state employees because they've been hit by inflation too. They need to, we need to do something to offset that for them. And this is the only way to do it. It just happens to be that government has to tax and then spend those dollars. So the, the big thing for me though, is it included a billion dollars in tax relief for property tax. And how do you vote against that as a Republican? Yeah. Buzz, I, I don't get it. How do you vote against a billion dollars in tax relief <laughs> for people? And then say, because we're giving money to state employees, yeah. this is why I'm saying. Yeah. That. And I, look, I mean, it's, I sympathize. There, there were, you know, there were times when I, I would look at the budget and I go, oh man, we could just do most, so much better. But I mean, here's the problem. It's a, it's a big document. It has all sorts of stuff in it. You can always find something. You know, they, the press release you talked about, yeah, they produced a list of things they didn't like about the budget. You can always produce that list. But then, as you mentioned, Scott, there's always things that, you know, come election time, you know, somebody might somebody might run against her and point out, you voted against property tax relief. Also, in the in the budget is going to be money returning to to the taxpayers, you know, in the form of rebates of the of the surplus. So you just when you're in the majority party, and when you want to try to get stuff done in the legislature, you you got to play ball to a certain extent, and voting for the budget is one of those things that you just got to do. And I, I know I serve with Charlize. And many, you know, and a lot of things I absolutely agree with her on, but this this is just one of those things that puts you outside, outside the club, and it makes it really hard when you then want to go and say, I want the rest of my colleagues to do this thing, and they say, oh, well, you're out there throwing us under the bus for voting for a budget, so it's a problem. Go ahead. Go this ahead, is Scott. the problem, I think, that Charlie Spurred is going to have moving forward, and that is she has so marginalized herself already because her attitude towards others in the building is, hey, I, I didn't come here to make friends. And she tells people that all the time. I'm not telling tales out of school. She's actually said those words to me on more than one occasion. And I've tried to encourage her to make friends because when I was there, I was very contrarian about a lot of this stuff too. I never voted against a budget because I recognized that there was always a lot more good. On the whole, there was a lot more good than garbage and waste in the budget. And so it was a compromise for me to vote for it. I, I never voted for one that I completely loved, right? But there was always some things I could point to in a budget to say, I really appreciate this. When I came in, for example, there were eight furlough days for our local school district 
where kids were not even going attending classes because we couldn't afford to run the schools for those eight days. So increasing spending to make sure that we could have a full 180-day school calendar was a really good thing in my mind. And so there were a couple of garbage things, but I, at least we, re, we were able to get back to a full school calendar. I remember my freshman year, Larry O'Neill <laughs> was the majority leader, and he, he said to me, this wasn't necessarily directed to me, but it says, Buzz, there are things in, I'm the majority leader, and there are things in this budget I don't like. And I had I had more influence right. over the budget than a f- little freshman like me did. So you just do it. You just you, you right. play ball right. and you go along. Right. And you try to make the process better. The problem with the way the problem with the way Charlie's is going about her business is that nobody respects her and nobody fears her. Right. Nobody fears the Freedom Caucus. They don't have enough numbers, and she's not doing anything to build the numbers of this Freedom Caucus. And she's not making relationships, and people walk around and they they spit her name, basically. Oh, you know, they, they have a very negative reaction whenever she's brought up in conversation. And nobody fears her. When I was the troublemaker in the house, there was a fear. I could kill a bill because I had friendships and I had relationships beyond just my little circle of friends because I invested in building friendships and people respected me and they knew that if I was opposed to something that they had a problem. And so they would come and they would try to work with me. Nobody's going to Charlie's Bird right now and saying, how can I get your vote? She's the only person to vote against the budget. They don't need her. There's, there is no fear of Charlie's Bird right now. And that, she's in a very bad place. And I'm saying that as a constituent because she represents me in the House. How many members does the Georgia Freedom Caucus have? About seven in both chambers. Seven in both chambers. The reason the Freedom Caucus at the congressional level, as much as they annoy the shit out of me these days. The reason they're effective is because they have enough numbers to affect any vote. Mm -hmm. They can determine the outcome of any vote. They can sink a bill. They can keep a bill. It may only pass that one chamber. It may never, may never pass the, may never pass the, the, the Senate, but it'll at least pass the house. If it has the freedom caucus's blessing. Yeah. That's not, that is not the case in in anybody's mind. Yeah, that's no, not the case. In not Georgia. even close. And and in the in the Georgia the dynamics between the Georgia General, General Assembly. This is, I mean I think the the Freedom Caucus idea at the state level it, it's not it's not necessarily a bad idea. It's just the Freedom Caucus at the federal level has such a negative connotation now that you know you're immediately going to be considered a problem child. There's and it's I mean do you look at someone like David Schweiker, Congressman David Schweiker, who was a founding member of the Freedom Caucus. At the federal level, he just left the Freedom Caucus in the congressional level because of the Arizona Freedom Caucus, because they're even further to the right than the the Congressional Freedom Caucus. It was posing problems for him because he's in a toss-up district. He barely won re-election this past cycle. You, in in a state legislature, things move so fast ladies are everything because you're working and you're working directly with legislators you're not they don't have you know some legislators might have staff but they're they aren't they're paying for them out of pocket unless they're leadership and it's it's not so you're you're working with you're working with members directly to get your bills passed this is not like congress so if you're if they don't like you if they see you as a troublemaker if the speaker doesn't like you you're not going to have any impact and when a new member gets elected who maybe maybe 
thinking about joining the Freedom Caucus, or at least maybe thinking that that's his vibe, may back away once he realizes, oh, if I do this, none of my stuff's ever going to get passed. That's bad for my district. So, so you can, I think you can still, there's a path for somebody to be a, a Freedom Caucus member in Georgia and be effective. They can't do this type of stuff. They, they have to be more willing to talk with leadership and other members. And if you are opposed to legislation, you have to be able to leverage your influence through the relationships that you have. You can be a contrarian and be effective. You can be disliked by the speaker and be effective. I'm an example of that. Like, I lived it. <laughs> and a lot of people, I'm not unique in that. A lot of people the speaker didn't like when I served got stuff done. You just have to do your work differently. And it's possible. She's just not walking that path at all. No, Scott, well, we, yeah. we understand that there are people around who don't like you. <laughs> it's true. Well, you know, unfortunately, well... I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> Buzz, there, what were you? There are well, very few. I think the I think the key thing is, and yes, I voted no. I never sent out a not on the budget, but I voted no on bills. I never sent out a press release blasting the legislation, you know, because of those relationships that you have to have, right? When you're when you put your caucus members in a position where they might get phone calls saying, why did you vote for the budget when there was all this stuff that they listed in their press release? It makes them, they don't like that. And that that's the thing that destroys trust and breaks down the relationships in the legislature. So, yeah, there's a, there's a way to go about your business and, and, and vote no and stay true to your principles and still get stuff done. Rushing to the press when, and, and every time you vote no is not the, not the way to do it. Or putting out, uh, I remember this from a few years back, putting out a, a, a you know an email blast to your supporters, telling them that your colleagues are not sufficiently Second Amendment because they didn't vote to challenge a ruling by the Speaker on a yes. on a gun bill. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I, I live yeah. that. One. I remember yeah. that one. I remember that one. Well, guys, <laughs> I want to talk about the the curious case of Christian Coomer. This one. We're moving away from the, the, the Georgia General Assembly. There was an ethics panel of, for those of you who don't remember, Christian Coomer was the former what majority whip in the Georgia House. And he Correct. he was appointed to become a judge. He became a judge. And now a three-member panel, which is this panel being comprised of judges, said that Christian Coomer has flouted ethics rules on how a lawyer should treat a client and looted his campaign account to pay for family vacations and loans to keep a struggling law firm afloat. So it's kind of generally serious accusations here. The reading more from the Fox 5 article, the judges agreed that Coomer broke rules of conduct when he borrowed more than $360,000 from a client on terms favorable to Coomer and wrote a will and trust for the client that made Coomer both the executor and beneficiary. Coomer repaid the money to the client, Jim Philhart, with interest, but most was returned after Philhart sued Coomer, accusing him of fraud and malpractice. I, let me re- amend my previous statement. These are pretty serious a- allegations here. Buzz, I don't think I've gone to you first for the entire podcast, and, and for that, I'm sorry. I'm not as cantankerous what do you make of this, Scott bro? today. So. <laughs> well, it's, I serve a Christian. It's just, you know, on the one hand, I'm, I'm sad about this, because it, you, I think what you see here is a guy who made some really dumb decisions. What was motivating it? I don't know. I don't know. It, it, but, you know, use, using some of this money being used for, along with campaign funds for, for family vacations, 
to extravagant extravagant places sounds like greed and that's that's just that's sad and it's uh he's gonna he's gonna be removed i mean look we can't prejudge the case the supreme court it's up to the state supreme court as you mentioned jason he's a very serious allegations that's a pretty solid document uh, that that they sent to the state supremes it, it's very possible that not only is he tossed off the bench but then there's there's a bar complaint following up on this and there's it's you know, po- very possible that not only does he lose his spot on the bench, but he doesn't practice law in the state of Georgia anymore. And you know, what's that? What does that mean for him and his family? It's 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 just a sad state of affairs, and I'm I'm sorry to see it happen. But you, you make stupid choices, you get you know bad things happen to you, and that that's ultimately what happened here. Yeah, Scott. So, on the one hand, it is incredibly difficult financially if you are unless you are independently wealthy to be in the legislature and if you're young and you need to work and you're not retired this is a really difficult job because it pays peanuts it, it doesn't really pay to fill any type of hole or gap in your in your private business and in this case, if his law firm was struggling and he was taking loans to prop him up, that's probably a function of the reality of what it's like to be in the legislature financially. It is incredibly difficult. It is a terrible financial decision to run for the Georgia General Assembly. <laughs> it was the worst financial decision I've ever made in my life. It is, it is a burden on your family and it's a burden on your business. If you own your own law practice, you have to set aside that practice for three months out of the year to go and be a state house rep. And so I, in one way, I understand the nature of why he found himself in these financial dire straits, right? So I, I, so I can see and, and empathize and sympathize with him because I, I felt financial pressure too. I never did anything like this, though. That being said, so I mean, it's expressing empathy and sympathy first. <clears throat> the person that I knew as the majority whip, this totally tracks with his character. <laughs> I'm sorry to say it, but the guy thought he was the smartest man in the room. If he had stayed in the legislature, I was going to challenge him as whip. I had committed that if he stayed as whip, I was going to run for whip. I would probably lost and I probably would have had my butt handed to me. But the guy <laughs> thinks he's the smartest man in the room. Since I, I've used the moron phrase, it's not that he's a moron. He's extraordinarily smart, but he's smart enough at this point to think that everybody else is a moron and he can pull one over on everybody. And I think that's what we're seeing here is he thought he would get away with it and he got caught. And that's that's the reality. It totally tracks with everything I've ever known about him. I want to go back for a second because our previous topic talking about the budget and the the paying paying state employees more, and I know on this podcast we've talked not not so much recently, but I know last year we spent a little bit of time talking about pay increases for state lawmakers, and and I even said you know we should even be investing in staff for state legislators. And Scott, you've talked about the financial difficulties of being a state legislator. Buzz, I know I know I've known you long enough to know that you're not independently wealthy either. I mean, I think I think the three of us here are all middle class guys who who. I'm the only. Yeah. I'm the only one smart enough not to have run for office. You are not the moron. <laughs> I am not here. the moron. Yes. I would not be. I would not be banned. Is what you're telling me. So it doesn't. I just. 
fiscal conservatism to me should not neglect needed investments in our institutions like a legislature. Mm -hmm. Like you have to make those investments. You have to, we want people regardless of socioeconomic status to serve in the legislature or at least, at least run. And if they're, if they're, if the people, the voters of that district or, or whatever decide that they should be elected, have that opportunity to serve. And it shouldn't be a, a financial strain to do it. I'm not saying legislators should be making a hundred thousand dollars a year. It's, I don't know. It just, and I'm not defending Christian Coomer here. What he did was wrong. At least what he, let me rephrase what he allegedly did was wrong, but those sorts of constraints, I don't think people realize that the, the, the three, sometimes four month commitment. And that's if you don't have a special session that pops up in the middle of the year, or at some point in the year, what, how much time commitment it takes. And even, even in that year, you're, or even that, even in that, when you're not actually in session, you're still doing constituent work. You're still on the yeah. phone with state agencies trying to do casework for constituents. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a time commitment, even when you're not physically present in the chamber. Yeah, that's that's the biggest lie is that it, that being a member of the legislature is a part time job. Yeah, that's a lie. <laughs> yep. No, th- that's all true, Jason. I appreciate you saying that because it is true, and we do need to take a look at it. I believe we had Wes Cantrell on this podcast before talking about his his proposal last year. He's not in the legislature. And yeah, it it needs to happen. It needs to be erased. But you know, back to Coomer, it's a, it's a series of bad decisions that went on for a number of years <laughs> of of now you know allegedly illegal. And un, or at least against the practice of the requirements and standards that the legal community holds itself up to, you know, that allegedly went on for a long time, allegedly illegal. So, it's I don't I don't I don't think we can we can hang this on that as legislative underpay. I think there's other stuff at work here that that, oh, that led sure, to this sure. series of bad decisions. I know none of you are trying to excuse it, excuse his behavior, but I don't I don't want it. To to lay the seriousness of the charges against him and and the repercussions right. that are that are likely to come, and it's going to be bad. I, I, it's going to be really be... bad for him and his family. No, I just you're right, I, and I'm not I'm not trying to to defend him by any stretch of the imagination. Think I know you're not. Anything else? Just... I was just use, I was using yeah. I was using Scott's point about the the fiscal the fiscal or financial constraints that being a member of the legislature you know has to to point back to our previous conversation and then yeah, I mean it's I don't know. It's it's just nuts. But I see that we have Scott and Buzz two candidates who have announced for chair of the Georgia Republican Party and Scott, when he sent over the agenda, was not kind enough to include their first names, so I'm not even going to try to attempt them. <laughs> so I'll, I'll make I'll make up first names for these people: Re- Rebecca Yardley, Scott, Rebecca and Yardley, Butch and Fudge. Dennis Dennis. Close, Butch Dennis Fudge. Yes, <laughs> I just thought Butch Fudge would, was funny because yeah. Anyway, so so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's Friday. It's it's Friday, folks. Give us a break. Could be a new nickname. Uh, Scott for tells him, about yeah, but notice noticeably, David Schaefer. These neither of these people are named David Schaefer. I, I'm not even sure if Schaefer's announced that he's going to run. I, I presumably he will, but why he would want to do that again, I have no idea. But Scott, tell us about our tell us about our candidates and and let us know what what the what Trump's biggest apologist in Georgia has been up to. 
<laughs> well, I had I had a friend who attended RNC's convention a couple weeks ago. Reach out, and he's from a different state, and tell me that they had a conversation with with David Schaefer, the current Georgia GOP chair, and apparently uh, David Schaefer is very concerned about being indicted very soon, and that's pretty much all he can think about or talk about. That's the takeaway from the conversation that he was having with a, a, a mutual friend up there who reported that back to me. That being said, Schaefer has not announced his intention to I was just going to say I, I was just going to say something real fast Scott. There's a there's a meme, there's a meme out there. I don't know if it's a gif. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's it's a host and he just looks up at the camera and says, "Oh no." Anyway, that was my response to David Schaefer being potentially invited. <laughs> 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 so Schaefer hasn't announced his intention he, he, we don't know if he's going to run or not but other people are going to be running against him if he does decide it. they're committed 100% whether he's in the race or not and so Rebecca Yardley's from the 8th district she's the 8th district GOP chair no, she ninth, has ninth, been right? in the Republican party as an activist 9th? yeah 8th is no, Austin yeah, it's Scott not the eighth, she's up here Georgia. Yeah. thank you for correcting me yeah, yeah, yeah. So she has a long time record of body of work that she can call upon. And she's been at the Capitol having meetings with legislators talking about the future of the party and the direction that it could go. The She's been endorsed by dozens of activists and elected officials throughout the state in her campaign. But there's another guy in Dennis Futch. And it didn't make much sense to me. I've never met Dennis in person, but he sent me a Christmas card this year. And I thought, huh, well, that's interesting. Why would Dennis <laughs> Futch send me a a Christmas card? He is a, a state committee member of the Georgia Republican Party. He's the chairman of the Colquitt County Republican Party. And he is a pretty big time activist in that region of the state. So I don't I, I haven't decided which direction I'm going as a I will I plan on being a delegate this year so I it's up in the air they they have a chance to earn my vote I want to hear from both of them yeah and that and so I, I can't really criticize either of them at this point but that's their background and they're in it regardless of whether or not Schaefer is yeah but Buzz. I, I know I know I mean, I've known Rebecca a long time I know I uh, met Futch when I was running for a state he invited me down to some property that he owned he had myself and and candidate for governor at the time Kemp and uh, there were a couple other candidates there. I'm sorry. It was kind of his, it, it was kind of people that he was endorsing for their various can- offices they're running for. And, and I, I always appreciate, I very much appreciated his support. And uh, so that's, that's how I know Dennis Futch. And I've uh, known Rebecca a long time through GOP circles up here. You know, she's, our, our, her county is not far from, her home county is not far from me here in Gwinnett. So it's going to be interesting because I think they both, you know, it, it's good. Competition is good especially in this case when we're having this debate over what the direction of the Republican Party in Georgia should be. And, you know, I wrote that article on Peach Pundit a while back that, you know, does this, the, the way that David Schaefer has behaved these these last couple of years as chairman, the way other members of his you know committee like Brant Frost have behaved out there actively supporting candidates who are not the incumbent Republicans, including the governor and members of the state legislature and other statewide officials 
you know, does the Republican Party th- see itself standing in opposition to elected Republicans, or do they see them as people who assist? And I think I'll be interested to hear what Dennis Futch has to say about this. I, I would think that he would be in line with it's our job to elect Republicans, because that's certainly how Rebecca Yardley is. It's our job to elect Republicans, as that's what the party apparatus stands for, not to be out there recruiting candidates against elected Republicans. So that's a healthy debate, um, a good s- debate to have. Since it since it came up since it came up the uh, about David Schaefer potentially being indicted, it sh- I should note that Fonnie Willis has suggested that indictments are are imminent, and and that was that was actually one of the reasons they're arguing to not release the report, the grand jury, the special grand jury report, according to the Associated Press, because the report's publication could jeopardize the rights of quote future defendants close quote. <laughs> so that. That seems to be coming down the pike pretty quickly, and all I have to say is it's about damn time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, so earlier this week, well, earlier this week, like like what yesterday? I think day before yesterday. I don't remember. Senate U.S. Senate Majority Leader, or excuse me, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell took to the floor and gave a speech about about voting rights and voting laws and defending laws, and particularly in states like Georgia. And it's the statements available on his his official. Republican Leader website. I think it's republicanleader.senate.gov. You can scroll down a couple days and, and see it there. But this comes on the heels of a UGA, University of Georgia report. And this might be the first time Buzz has ever liked the University of Georgia. Um, <laughs> that there's a survey of a, 1,253 Georgia voters conducted by UGA that found that zero percent of black respondents said their voting experience in Georgia was poor in the 2022 midterm election. A 73% of black voters said it was excellent, which is equal to white voters. And that tweet comes from Ziad Jelani from January 23rd. He's reporting and Ziad, by the way, I think is a former, former progressive Democrat, but guys, I know we've spent a lot of time more than I would like to admit talking about <laughs> SB202 on the podcast and buzz since this is coming from university of Georgia, I know how much you love Bulldogs. Give us your, <laughs> give us your, your thoughts on this poll. Well, can, can we trust it? I mean, I think that's the first question to ask. Can we trust it? But no, seriously, I, I think this, this should <laughs> kill the myth of massive voter suppression going on in the state of Georgia, because if they, if they survey all these people and exactly zero of them say that they had a bad experience, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how folks like Stacey Abrams continue to continue to trot out that mantra. And so, you know, we, we got to kill the now. We, you know, the the overwhelming evidence is does not suggest that there's massive voter fraud. So Republicans need to drop that tactic. And Democrats need to drop the idea that there's massive voter suppression going on because neither of them are true. Neither of them are true. And we've got to, people have got to start trusting these results because for the most part, they're right. We don't have a perfect system and we never will because it's run by human beings who are flawed and make mistakes. But massive voter suppression and massive voter fraud are not happening. And this is just yet another data point to suggest that, that, that it's time to drop this stuff and start working together to trust elections again. All I heard Buzz say that there are going to be mistakes, which means elections get stolen. Scott, <laughs> Scott, you have, of, of the three of us, well, I guess of the two of you, you have been probably the most ardent defender of SB202. So, 
Well, because looking at the legislation, it simply didn't do the things that the left across the country had claimed it was going to be doing. They called it Jim Crow 2.0. Like, and let's just look at that, how bad Jim Crow was. I mean, things like poll taxes, putting a a tax on the, the, the right to vote. Like if you couldn't pay, you couldn't vote. That's what Jim Crow was. It, and to compare it to that was just insane. And now that the results are and the public sentiment around this law that made it easier for people to vote around the state have come out and zero African-Americans said it was harder. Zero. Not one, not two, not a few, not three percent. Zero said it was harder for an African-American to vote in this state. Everybody who used the phrase GOP or Jim Crow 2.0 needs to issue an apology. They need to, to own it. I was wrong. You you need to say those words next to call it Jim Crow 2.0. Never forget that that verbiage was used by the president of the United States to tell Major League Baseball to move an all-star game out of Georgia. Never forget that. Because it had a, and it had a real economic impact to people who were waiting for that event, so that they, their little small business could sell stuff to people who were here for that event, and that evaporated overnight because of the rhetoric that was over the top and overblown about that bill. Every Republican who voted for that should be taking a victory lap right now. It's okay, Scott. The Democratic the Democrats are going to bring the Democratic National Convention to Georgia <laughs> at least if, if if they get their way. I mean, the, what's the economic impact of that? So let me get this straight. That's me. Tro- for those of you who can't We're, see the grin on my face, that's me trolling Scott. <laughs> let me get this straight. The Democrats believe Georgia is too racist to host an all-star game, but they want to have their national convention in Atlanta? Well. Does nobody else see the disconnect in the intellect? <laughs> well, sure. Am but, I the only well, one? Scott, no, no. The, you, hold, you have the convention here so that every night every speaker can wag their finger and tell us how racist we are that's that's why you have the that's why you have it here and it'll be a week of declaring georgia uh, blue and how because they're going to save us from ourselves that's what's going to happen add add that add that to your list of of david knight's bill to ban morons put put this in here too one one and and i'm i'm gonna i'm going to i'm going to use my privilege as the the i guess quote unquote host moderator whatever the hell you want to call me last friday last friday i i was out i was in dc and i went out and had dinner with a friend who used to work at the covington news and she's now a reporter i'm not going to say the publication she's now a reporter in the dc area she's been up up in dc for 10 12 years now so i missed the initial release of the video of tyree nichols Hmm. but I got home around, I guess, about 7.30, 8 o'clock. I'm too old to go out and drink anymore, and I didn't drink at all that night because I'm just too old. The hangovers last two days now, and it's not fun. Plus, I was driving. <laughs> so, And plus, I was in Tacoma Park, which is not – I don't know anything about Tacoma Park except that it's basically in Maryland, but, like, just barely. So, anyway. But I spent the rest of the evening watching the coverage of of the video. And and I'm, hope, I'm hopeful – but also not holding my breath that we will see a, a, a new debate over policing in the United States because 
Yeah, I, and I've seen some of the arguments like, well, the, the officers who who killed him were, were were black, and that shows you that there's not systemic racism. And um, yes, there are people who make that argument that is systemic racism, and that revolves around the CRT debate, which I don't care to have. But what I would say is there's a police culture issue, and it's something we should be discussing actively. That while you can still back the blue, there are there are officers who need to be held accountable. And if we can't hold the officers accountable, at the very least, maybe we can do something what Senator Lindsey Graham has proposed and hold the municipalities or the individual individual police depart- departments or sheriff's offices accountable for the actions of bad cops or deputies so we can have them. Because if they pose a financial or a fiscal risk to a city or a police department or, or a sheriff's department, maybe they'll fire them. Guys, I, I don't know if you guys want to speak on this, but the – the problems here with policing, I just don't know how we can avoid it anymore. But yet we still somehow manage to do so. I'll, I'll just jump in. I, I I couldn't bring myself to watch the video because I, when I heard it was hard. The, when when I heard the police chief say that you know you're gonna see things that just defy all humanity, that I, I you know, so I, I read articles. I heard listened to debates. You know discussions about it and. I think you know it, it's just horrific, and you know my my prayers continue to go out for to the family and to the uh, the Memphis community that's that's struggling with this with this whole thing. Um, yeah, you know we do need to we do need to look at this, Jason. You're right. The the a real study, you know, analysis of the situation that led to this need to absolutely evaluated the training the you know what it was you know is there something broken in the culture the memphis police force that you know what lessons can be learned about this absolutely need to have that and and i think unfortunately you know the it's not going to happen on twitter because the 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 you know speaking of morons the number of stupid take on both on all across the political spectrum about this, you know, is just you know boggling, mind-boggling. When there, where then there is a real serious issue here, and I'm sure every member of law enforcement who is of goodwill, which overwhelmingly they are, you know, the vast, vast, vast majority of them are men and women of goodwill, want to have that, and are I'm sure that that's happening in police forces across the country right now, just some self-analysis. But there needs to be a thoughtful public debate about this, about what it is we want police to be doing, and how can, how what needs to be done to prevent horrific things like this from happening. And I think, you know, thankfully it is rare, because, you know, we would hear, we would hear about it a lot more if, if things like this were happening. But I just can't imagine what, what brings a group of men to with their own hands and feet beat a man to death and that that's just horrific and yeah he he was 60 he was 60 yards from his home and he was crying out for his mother yeah and and, and you know and and these guys telling him to lay down lay flat on the ground he was doing that yeah and it's well, just, issuing, I, right they yeah, were issuing yeah. conflicting instructions right so he didn't know what right, to do. Right. Yeah. Get up, stand down, hands right. up. And, and, you know, all... Scott, this let me ask you, because I think you and I are of close to this similar minds about this topic. But the way I look at it is, this is gonna keep happening. And you know, the 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 thing that got me, I so I was I was listening to Sunday shows, and Jim Jordan, who's the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, goes on goes on. 
air and says, I, there's no law that could have prevented this kind of evil. Oh, okay. okay. Why do we have any laws? That's not an excuse to me. And just every time this happens, we're going to reopen this debate and we're going to sit there and say, something's got to change. But there's a segment of the Republicans don't want to go far enough. Democrats want to go too far. Is there a middle ground here that we can find to start addressing this issue in a way that's going to maybe not give everybody what they want, but at least start start the process of fixing this issue? Is there a middle ground? I hope so. I did not. I like Buzz. I didn't watch the video because I I get overly emotional. I was having this conversation with a friend yesterday. I have an overly inflated sense of justice. <laughs> And I have an emotional reaction that leads to anger and it puts me in a bad place mentally when I see others suffering. And it has hurt my heart to read and hear and have it described to me what was on the video. So I can't bring myself to watch it. And and I probably will never. The, the calling out to the mother breaks my heart. I don't think Jim Jordan is making an excuse. There is no law that prevents evil people from doing evil things. We have laws so that there's justice for those who are the victims of evil. And we have to advocate for that. There clearly needs to be something to change, but I'm going to be completely honest here. And I'm a bit of a know-it-all. I have no answer right now. I'd love to be part of the conversation, mainly so I can learn more about why this happens so that we can be better citizens and better advocates for our brothers and sisters and our neighbors. But I don't know what the fix is. I don't know how you legislate this out of people. I don't know how you legislate a police culture that created a scenario where this happened. Every small group of people that have power are susceptible to doing incredibly evil things with that power. I, and we have laws so that when they do cross a line, we can bring them to justice. I don't know what law changes would need to be made to keep this from ever happening again. I just, I don't know that you ever will get to that point, but we need to, we need to support the prosecutors in this case and the investigators and the, and the people who are trying to bring them to justice because at this point, tragically it's too late for Tyree Nichols the only thing we can do is try to have justice which is never enough apparently you know it's clearly not enough so I I, it's it's a highly emotional thing and I I I hurt for his his loved ones and it's just a tragic situation I'm terribly sorry it happened well, on on a, a closing note, we will be back next week, hopefully at the normal time on Wednesdays when we record. Hopefully that means we'll release it on Thursday. The week after, the week the 13th, I'm going to be in Disney World. So I am not going to be hanging out with you guys. I am not going to be talking to you guys. I'm going to be 
hanging out with Mickey Mouse and the Pirates of the Caribbean and eventually taking my girlfriend over to Harry po- the Wizarding World of Harry Potter over at Universal and also hanging out with my awesome nephew who this is his Make-A-Wish trip. For those of you who don't awesome. know, my nephew had a, had a liver oh, wow. transplant in, in August of 2020 in the middle of COVID and he got a Make-A-Wish and he chose Disney World and they are just now getting around to granting it because of just mm-hmm. you know, the pandemic, all that stuff. Completely understandable, but they're getting us all matching t-shirts and stuff and it's cool. it's going to be... It's going to be a really great time. I haven't been to Disney since I was like eight. So it's changed a lot. I, I, I've been to Disneyland since I went to Disneyland at the end of 2019, but I haven't been to Disney World since I was eight. But I, I know it has changed, and I'm looking forward to, to hanging out with, with the girlfriend and the family who all adore her. So it's going to be a good time. So, Scott, give us our let's, – let's say thanks to our Patreons, and let's get the hell on. Yeah, before I do that, I just want to point out, while you're gone, we're going to have John Watson come visit with us on that that day john watson is the former republican party state chairman for georgia and he has a lot of thoughts about how to handle the georgia republican assembly so be sure to be here even though jason's not going to be here see i'm gone for, i'm gone for one Patreons. day and i'm being i'm gone for one day and i'm being replaced oh <laughs> uh, he you're no John Watson. Let's just put it that John Watson's no Jason Pye. That's, that's the way I meant to say that. Thank you to our Patreons. We have a new one this week, ladies and gentlemen. Stuart Wilkinson, thank All you right. for signing up. to For the first time, you get your first shout-out. So thank you, Stuart. Ari Schaefer, Ron Daniels, Mike Buchert, Andrew Smith, anonymous contributor, Andy Allen, Bo Brannon, Ryan Graham, Hunter Burnett, John Vestal, Reed Powell, Benjamin Hurst, and Sam Thomas. Thank you all for being our Patreon supporters of the Peach Pundit Podcast. On a lighter note, real fast before we go, somebody posted a model of the potential trajectory of the balloon. So currently, it was it was like right at Kansas City, and it's supposed to go through the state of through state of Missouri, through the southern tip of Illinois into Kentucky. It's a go- yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's not surviving it's Kentucky. Down. And if it doesn't, and if it doesn't survive, <laughs> if it does somehow happen to survive Kentucky, it's going to be flying in Eastern Tennessee, like yeah. not happening. Not happening. <laughs> Sorry, people, China. People are gathering right now in preparation f- to shoot yeah. that thing down. Red, redneck engineering is redneck engineering is is, yeah. is at work, and that thing's coming <laughs> down, man. Sorry, sorry, Scott. Bubba's firing up the crop duster. They're going to be doing wing walking with rifles. I know it. Sorry, sorry, Scott. Watch this TikTok video. You can you can edit this. You can edit this out later if you want to. I strongly suggest you leave it in. Do not f- with rednecks in the South and their guns. <laughs> Have a good weekend. We'll see you sometime soon. <laughs>